Welcome to the Dark Zone, an Adventurations podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. This is our fifth and final podcast coming to you from Rootstock Racing's The Endless Mountains Adventure Race. It is June, going into July 2023. It's been a fantastic race. Today's interview is with race winner Bend Racing. They had a decisive victory, and they were kind enough to sit down for over an hour with the Dark Zone. Um, they do more than just recap the race. While they do do that somewhat, they talk a lot about their approach and their training and who they are as racers and how they work on becoming the best version of themselves. So a thank you to Ben Racing for being gracious with their time. Even though they're a bit sleep-deprived and even though they're a bit, the, uh, they're a bit beat up from the race, they were uh, champions with a decisive victory um, of almost over uh, many hours compared to their over 10 hours between first and second place. So congratulations to Ben. Uh, this episode is brought to you by UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. They've been very supportive of the Endless Mountains, and we are grateful for their participation in supporting the race. Thank you also to Lycoming College for being the host site and to the town of Williamsport for taking very good care of us while we were here. Listeners, thanks for being here. This is a good episode with Ben. They share a lot, and they talk a lot, and they were very gracious with their time. So sit back and relax this episode of The Dark Zone. So here we are, the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast, here with Team Bend Racing. Um, Bend Racing just had a, a decisive victory at the second edition of the Endless Mountains Adventure Race. We're joined by Coderine Cabell, Jean-Yves Dion, Alexander Provost, and Daniel Stodigal. You know, it's interesting, in my, in my conversation with Ben Racing, you know, this is the third time, this is the third um, event that I've been involved in in some way in which Ben Racing has had a, a victory. Um, there's no... Every single piece of data points to the fact that Ben Racing right now is the preeminent team in American adventure racing. Right? The, the, the way that you win, um, this was the same team, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you as a composition won Exposition Canada not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Right? And so here are, here are two big races in North America that your team has rolled into those races and done very, very well. I'm always thoughtful about it. You know, it's interesting when I have these conversations and I think about them. The, if one thing no team will ever do it. I don't care if it's adventure racing, I don't care if it's basketball, it's football, I don't care what it is. It is rare for a team that is at the top of the sport to talk in great detail about how they got to be at the top of the sport, right? Because there are, there are, you have competitors and you have people who want to knock you off your podiums and, and that is for every single sport. And so when we have these conversations, I, I think that we run the risk of, um, and this is not a Ben racing dynamic, I think you saw this with teams and I'll use some big examples like Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls back in the day. And that's quite the analogy to have, right? That, that kind of dominance, <laughs> right? That's we go there. Um, We're not quite there yet. Not quite there yet, but I, but I think we that you're... Some, some work to do. All right, and in the, in, the, in the context of where we are right now, it's the, we, we find that you're, you're, you're starting to, to live in that era a little bit, right? I think that if we say that Ben Racing is coming into a race that any team is doing, they know that they're gonna be wrestling with you for the top of the podium. And you've now shown that multiple times with multiple races. And so I'm thoughtful about the idea that digging into your specific training and how you do this exactly is, is kind of a fool's errand, right? Team kind of fall into general conversation, well, we train steady and consistently we train hard. Um, and so, I, and so while I, I certainly encourage you to talk about how you do it, I recognize that there's a depth to how much you want to get into how. Um, I think the, the interesting thing is that it doesn't matter. Right. I think the, the, the funny thing, we were talking about this a little bit before, the details, the details matter, but they don't actually matter. The number of people who do what they think is the right thing is really low. Everybody knows the right thing to do. Everybody knows that they should sleep more. Everybody knows they should take better care of their feet. They know they should train. They, like, they know the laundry list of things that they need to do to be faster. They just don't have the 
structure or the determinate like there's something missing and they're just not doing what they know they should do um, and so that usually indicates that your goals are not actually the goals that you think that you have and your your stated goals are different than your actual goals or you just like have some block between like what you want to do and what you're actually doing gotcha. um, and so I think that's that's kind of the biggest thing that I come back to all the time because like we're in a sport where the goal is to win or whatever but that's not really the, the truth right the number of people who enter an adventure race with that as their actual goal is a couple most people's goal is to like have a cool adventure or have, make a story or like have a good time outside and if part of that is telling yourself like oh we need to go fast great that's part of the story go fast but the if the goal is like you know become a top adventure racing team like there's a huge list of things that you have to do like have a consistent set of people and like train consistently and like learn from your mistakes and, and you know and like <clears throat> integrate lessons and, and put process in place and totally, and totally. Just document a bit of that and uh, making sure they happen and finding if they don't happen trying to understand why and uh, just making sure that uh, it, it you know the mistakes are you know a, a, a learning opportunity to uh, to improve so yeah so if I hear you correctly what you're saying is is that people know what they need to do right I think there's two parts right okay. that's one of them right it's knowing when you and then being able to actually do those things, yeah. and and the idea of having your stated goal be your actual goal. Yeah, and and changing one or the other, because it's totally fine. Like going out jogging and having a good time. That's a, that's great. It's awesome. Like there's not there's no problem there, right? Going into an adventure race and skipping checkpoints and having a great time. Like you're winning, right? Like that's that's perfect. I want. To, I would. If everybody could be that way, then we could expand the sport by a thousand times by just having people excited to mess around in the woods and get lost and find themselves and like be awesome that's yeah. way better True. right like you know I want people to compete against also right so like I'm happy that there's people who are tenacious and, and want to be fast and want to be uh, beat other people but that certainly shouldn't be anywhere near everybody and it's not it's not uh, you know it's not only about beating other teams it's about doing, you know, racing at the best of your abilities. You know, if you end up, you know, on, on the podium That's or nice. beating teams, then yeah, it's nice. Uh, but I mean, in, in the end, we want to do, you know, go to the end of our our, our ideas and our, uh, our 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 take on the sport and see where we can go. So uh, and and how far it can lead us. So. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you end up winning races. Sometimes you end up not making the podium for X, X, Y, Z reasons. But you know, if you if you feel you've given, uh, you've been racing to the best of your ability and knowledge, then yeah, no, it's fantastic. So do I understand correctly? I don't want to read too much into what you're saying, but the idea that the for you and for many people, adventure racing is a sport of self-exploration, right? There's there's an upper limit to, to your capacity as a person. And this is the venue through which to explore that capacity? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. And as a result of, and on top of that, you're able to put together your life in certain ways, the way that you totally. get to live your life, the choices you get to make that enables you to work at the, not only at that sense of exploration, but also at the at, at podiums. Like those two things align for the two of you. 
And then there are people out there who, for various reasons, don't have the capacity to, to train and live the way that you are able to. And yet their results are still their results. And there's a certain level of, of uh, symmetry between who they are and who you are that exists. Absolutely. It's not a matter of quotas. Yeah. Unless I think that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the no, anyway. It's not the ultimate goal. Um, when I enter and, and venture race, it's like Alex was saying, is to try to uh, do the best of what we can do as a team of four. And if we end up finishing in the 15th place and we feel that we gave, we gave everything we had, I mean, I'll be happy with that. Um, so we, every race we enter, we try to leave everything on the table. And sometimes it implicates to, um, uh, to give your pack, for example, or to you gotta be. Uh, you gotta forget about your. Oh, Gary, how do you say that? Pride. Pride. Your pride, your ego. Yeah. You just set that to the side. Yeah, exactly. And, and to be honest with with yourself and with your teammate, because no, don't take my pack. Uh, I'll be able to run, but you're slowing down the rest of the team, so you might as well get into it. So as we as we illuminate what your race experience is like for the average racer, as Aaron's kind of understand how things go through it's safe to say that you all experience to a different degree the same thing that every other team goes through. That there are highs and there are lows and there are points that go well and points that don't go well. Totally, totally. And I, I had, I was uh, speaking with uh, uh, another racer the, this morning and she was, uh, I think it was her first five day race and she was, oh, uh, congrats, amazing, you guys are uh, so strong and thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, thanks, but you know, it's, it's as hard uh, for us that it is for all the other teams and and we we make mistake and we go through the same struggles it's just that the one of the main difference is that we have process in place to address these these situations and so we kind of try to catch the problems or the issues and try to solve them really quickly and and then all all that always align to our goals to make it as fast as it came to the finish line. Gotcha. Queen, what do you think so far? Well, <coughs> I think one big difference with Ben Racing and I don't know if probably other group of people have the same um, experience, but I mean, you, you can terrorize everything. Like you can watch videos of how to learn to swim for years. And when you go actually in the water, you won't be able to be a good swimmer where expedition races, you don't do 10 of expedition races per year. You, you will do two, three, four if it's a huge year. So having a group of experienced people that can share their errors or their thoughts or their, um, and we debrief with the entire team pretty much every races. So even if I wasn't there in Canada this year, we had a debrief with the, uh, the team. They said, oh, we did that right. And th this, so, we kind of grow faster by sharing our experience and by racing multiple races in one year. So it's kind of, it's fresh in your memory. So you race, then the other race, it's other teammates, but they will give you some insight and then you can apply that to the next race. And I think this is when um, it, it made a huge, it, the, the, the game changed, the mm -hmm. game has changed for the team. But well, there's safety in process, right? 
Like the, the fact that you know where you want to end up, you know the goals that you want to have, you know you, you have personal responsibility to the team to be prepared to be able to race, to, to do things like that. But it sounds like that that is married to a, a, an organizational expectation in which the debriefing and the sharing and the conversation takes place formally. So then as a result, you, you get better and better each time. And one thing we all know in, in life is that small things compound over time. Right, if you do if you do enough small things correctly, you know, use a baseball analogy. You know, so, you know we've gone from basketball to baseball now. Um, singles and doubles, right? Teams that hit singles and doubles consistently win games. They put players on base, you know, um, and so the and so that's the point that you're making there, and and that's one thing that is. Cause remember, the dark zone is all about the newer racer, right? And that's the one thing that anybody can do, regardless of your capacity, regardless of what you, how much time you have, regardless of your physical skill set. You could certainly sit down with your teammates and talk about how the race went and have a sense of honesty that goes about it. Yeah. And dare I say sometimes, brutal honesty in which the ego, get, the pride gets put to the side. It's really hard to have honest debriefs. So what do you do? So now, this, this episode will land soon after the, the race ended. You know, the race ended this morning. And in my intro, I will talk about the, the race itself, how it went for you, right? This is, if you notice, it's interesting. The five of us have been here together the entire week, and so we're talking about it because we know what happened, and people at home right now will have, in my intro, I will have talked about what led to this point, the size of your win. How soon after the event do you have that honesty brief? Do you use these moments immediately following the race when the feelings are raw and they're right in front of you, or do you have like a cooling off period to sort of process a little bit? Like what works best for you, an immediate conversation, days later or weeks later? What's the process that you tend to follow there? All of the above. We talk during the race. We talk on the car ride to the race. Like, and, we and talk all the time. Yeah. Like, the more we talk, the better. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and uh, no, it, it's a, it's really is a, an open channel of communication. Uh, and but I mean, in terms of you know freshness in our memories after a race to be to go really into the the specifics, uh, like we did our official debrief. We did that this morning, right? So we finished uh, yesterday morning. Mm -hmm. Oh, yesterday was more of a just uh, napping a bit. And right. right. <laughs> and so for context, today, it's Saturday afternoon at, at yeah. three twenty. Yeah. Right. It is. It is Saturday, right, guys? Yeah. Okay. Very yes. nice. <laughs> Anybody who raced five days at home will get that. So the race started Monday morning at at ten o'clock. You raced through the week and you finished yesterday morning after roughly was ninety two hours of racing. Yeah. So it's ninety two hours. Uh, 120-hour race, you use, you need 92 of them to clear the entire course, well over 100 checkpoints. Um, and so then you used, and coming in in the morning, I, maybe it helps you, right, because the day is in front of you. You finish at 10 o'clock at night, most likely the debrief won't happen right away. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like that as soon as you came across the finish line, and as soon as you went through, the, you, you popped the champagne and you spoke with you, you started to eat, I even observed that already the mini conversations were happening between you. And now that you processed with each other, but that also, by the way that Rootstock Racing put together the post-race experience between the, the, the pizza that we had for you, courtesy of Jim Mernon and Kate Matthews. Amazing. And the, <laughs> nice, right? They, they, let's give a shout <laughs> out to the volunteers, good. right? Yeah. So, so for those at home, um, every single finisher, and, and I like to point out, uh, adventure racing does its best to be a very democratic sport, right? So the experience that Ben Racing had coming in first and getting the pizza and the couches and the finisher's lounge and the big screen TV was the exact same experience that the team who came in at the very end of the race, yeah. right? And so that was a big part of the ethic in which we put this event together, that everybody gets the same thing. But I could even observe that you were beginning that processing with each other and with other people too. You were using the conversation to talk about that granular stuff of what happened during the race. 
How easily or how hard is it to you to go next level? You talk about the experience that took place, right? The, the checkpoints, the speed, your feet, your food, all of that. And then you get into like a deeper level, if you will, of the conversation of how well that treated you. Do you reserve that for, for now? Do you reserve that? Will you get together on a call like on a Monday night? Will you like, when will that take place? When you really dig into it? Or because you're traveling as a pack, right? You've been together since the race end, you're traveling home together. Does that take place then? And is it formal or is it just sort of ingrained into the culture of you as a team? Um, the formal one just, uh, you know, the formal one, we went through a lot of specifics. Um, stuff occurs to us at random times and then it just goes in the team chat. God, it's like, oh, we need to modify the bike boxes in this way to manage batteries or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And then we like put the like concrete plan stuff in a separate place. Yeah. Um, so there's the thinking, there's the doing. We'll talk about this in general. Here's the philosophical conversations we'll have, and then here's the application to that to our, our race practice. Yeah, and there's so like there's so many different kinds of conversations that have different textures. You know, there's like mechanical, like how do you fit your bike in the box the best, and then there's like um, how do we how do we balance the uh, emotional needs of different people in the team. Those are very different. Those are wildly divergent very topics. <laughs> right, right, right. Ma managing a teammate as they struggle or don't struggle during a race versus where does my wheel go? Oh, I'm just even talking about like how do we how do we put how do we put squads together? Like, Got it. How do we get, you know, this person and this person to like understand what racing together should be like or will be like or whatever. Right. Because having various combinations people, those combinations vary over time. Yeah. We have, we have twelve people on the squad. Right, right. So how are like right. well, maybe is it thirteen? Fourteen? There's a lot of people. Right. You know, we, and we kind of have the separation between the Canadians and the, and the Americans somewhat. Because um, there can only be seven on the world's, yeah. The yeah, world's yeah. roster. Yeah, there's that. There's the, the, the way the rules are shut up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we have to kind of play around with that a bit. Um, yeah, so we're quite a big crew. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it might get a little unwieldy, right? There's four of you, the four of you right now in front of me, and there's roughly eight to nine of you outside of here that are, yeah, are right. part of that squad, and you work together in various combinations. Yeah. When it's, and it's awkward, like when we went to Worlds last year, like one squad had two navigators and the other squad only had one navigator. And we just like couldn't quite get it to work with two navigators for you guys. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just like super hard. Yeah. Like, okay, lesson learned. Let's, let's not do it that way again. <laughs> yeah. And in that race, it was interesting also like, we, we made some small errors, nothing that mm -hmm. had an effect on the results, but it was n nice to see Like, oh, that's a different kind of error. Oh, we also made that error, another kind of error, and yeah. kind of trying to use this little learn at every checkpoint that we mess a little bit, apply to make sure, oh, we did it in that checkpoint, next checkpoint, we don't do it. And then we, we did some new errors. Plenty of traps, plenty of different we, kinds we, of traps. Yeah. Every time we were talking about it, Like debriefing at each checkpoint where we felt was not nailed it. So, so you even do it, that's even like a micro perspective, like yeah, inside yeah. the race yeah. itself, like uh, CP22, to say, wow, we really had a tough time. Was what did we do wrong right now? Mm -hmm. right? I, I could have oh, read yeah. the map better. I could have, we, we missed, we misread this. And then you. Oh, yeah. those, those specific examples are bad ones. Right. Not to like say that, but, right. but um, those are not doable things, right? Like you can't say, well, I'll read the map better next time. Right. Right. And so the, the, the goal is to always have doable things. So one concrete example was like, everybody needs to look at the map 
if we're going from traveling to searching, right? Because everybody knows how to read a topo sheet, basically. Sure. So it's like, in what general direction and how far is the checkpoint? And what does the topography look like? Is something that everybody should understand. Because like, we spent a bunch of time like with people looking in the wrong place. And then Alex and I na are navigating and we're not, what are they doing over there? Right. And I was like, yeah. well, we didn't, we didn't like communicate this properly. Yeah. And so like the action is, if we're doing it, just like look at the map. And so when, so that's a really good learning, I think, for the, for the newer racer at home, right? That when you, I've heard the example of like green, yellow, red, right? Mm -hmm. When the team is traveling in a large to it, it's green. We're also mm -hmm. just moving in the same direction as quickly as we can mm -hmm. towards the point. Yellow when you get a little bit closer. And then red is basically the navigator saying, we're, we're now on top of this. This is what we're, everybody, this is what we're looking yeah, exactly. for. Now let's go look for it. Mm -hmm. And then obviously there's distance expectations in, in the sport. You spread out and you mm -hmm. kind of canvas that a little bit and you come across the area like that. So those are the things you're talking about right there. Yeah, and, and framing things as things that you can actually do, right. right? So like if that is read the map better, maybe a better way to frame that is remind, like somebody remind the navigator of X, Y, or Z, right? The, the, the one that came up this time was like, Remind the navigator that they know what they're doing. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Like, just pretend that you know what you're doing. And it's two and we'll, separate things. <laughs> <laughs> one, one is theater, right? I look like I know, I'm looking at the map, I'm looking around, and one is actually doing it, right? Right? Those two things. But sometimes there might be, in the idea of ego, you know, we, I, talked about, I talked about before, you brought that up, that the, sometimes as a team, you fall into the trap of thinking, I, I'm now performing for my teammates. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, I have to make them think I know what I'm doing. And sometimes do people that do that. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. that sounds awful. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> awful. I understand that. Uh, that I'm so sorry. Please don't do I, that. No, but I understand why some it, it could happen on some teams, because uh, especially if you, you know you're in the process of building teams and you know uh, learning and you know uh, growing your teams and. You know, if it's the first time you kind of have an opportunity to race with, with people. Uh, but at this point, you know, we feel that honesty is, is certainly a better way to, to uh, a better behavior to have, you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, the appropriate actions are taken. So if I don't feel correctly, if I don't feel good, um, I want to raise the flag. I want to be the one who raises the flag as quickly as possible. Well, you this know, is, this is one of those like stated goals versus actual goal things. Yeah. Pe some people want to look good, and some people want to be good. Some people want to feel fast. And some people want to be fast. Right. And feeling fast and being fast are different. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and to your point, Alex, the idea that, like the team is served much better when the person absolutely. says it first. Absolutely. Right. I, I, I will. I will serve my team better if I say, "Hey guys, I don't feel good. Can can you guys help me?" Can you take a bit of weight and uh, let's just find a solution? Because, I mean, our sport is about, it's about finding solutions. It, it, it's, it's, there's always something coming up and it's about finding solutions. So sometimes it's a, it's a gear solution, but sometimes it's uh, an emotional solution or sometimes it's uh, just, you know, uh, food or things like that. So, uh, I mean, it, it can be, you know, a zillion things, but it's always how do we find solutions? Yeah, I, I've heard the example that like uh, adventure racing in its purest form is, is problem solving, 
Exactly. And the problems are incredibly complex. And sometimes it's the problem of getting to the race, right? All the gear, everything. We've got teams in this race. And every single expedition race that I follow, pay attention to, or listen to, there's always some team that has some gear disaster on the way out. Absolutely. Adventure Race Croatia, we had one teammate with three airlines, two countries, and the gear was there. We know that, that, that you, know, you know, Natalie and, 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 and team visit Penticton trapped in Toronto and a, and a volunteer named Keith got in his van, drove the five hours to Toronto, collected Natalie and the team's gear, and drove the five hours back. And so all of those things happen. So it's the, it's the problem, it's solving problems on the way to the race, at the race, yep. and then using the opportunity after the race to solve those, to solve those problems, to discuss how you solve them. Exactly. And a good example of that is that there were no really good flights for Dan to arrive in time in Philadelphia. So he would have arrived like Saturday night or something, and we felt that was too tight. And that, that would, there was a chance that his gear didn't make it in time or stuff like that. And it would put a lot of stress on our team to have to solve that on Sunday before the race. So we adapt. Instead, we had uh, Dan flying into Newark, and we drove to Newark on you know uh, on Friday evening and we picked him up on Saturday morning with his gear and that was already a stepping stone to uh, for it was you know something we we identified as a, a possible trap you know and we adapted our plan already adding with a, a solution for that so uh, as, as a proud resident of New Jersey, I will I will thank you for using the Newark <laughs> Airport. And also, but I, driving to Newark voluntarily is quite the act of heroism. <laughs> on behalf of the team. So, so from, from an East Coast person to another, thank you for doing that. And shout out to New Jersey. Um, and, and so I think the person going home now, if they listen to this in the car, or if they're following up on this, because there are folks who return back to the podcast over time, that the idea that looking at it as, as problem solving, right? Yeah. The idea that is that is all the race really is. Alongside that too, you have to show up to the event able to solve the problem, mentally strong, physically strong. I mean, you could have all the great ideas in the world and want to do well, but you have to be able to show up. Right? You have to be able to, to carry yourself through. I'm assuming in any organization, right, that is interdependent, right, like your success is as fit as you are, as fit as the you are, you are, you are, the team then moves together well. Um, what do your, and it's a question I get all the time, what does your, what are your individual, like, what's a rough outline of your personal training? in terms of how much time do you dedicate per week to be fit for a race such as this. There, there are people who, who, who look at your performance and say, well, I could never do that. And I always argue, they have as much time in the day as you and I do. Different demands, obviously, Absolutely. but they can do it. So in a very broad stroke, and you can go individually or as a group, what does your physical training look like? Like how much time do you spend on your feet? Do you spend in the mountains? Do you spend in the gym? Do you spend training at home? What does it look like? Um, our, our coach, Jason, who's on the team, um, there's kind of a separation between uh, training, what we're actually training, which is which is aiming for physical gains, which winds up being, I think, what, six hours a week? Right, it's not like that. Not that a couple of hours, an hour, hour and a half workouts a week. Um, base season has a little bit more, um, but never more than 10 a week. Um, and just, a, yeah, it's, it's a pretty minimal approach. It's very targeted. Um, we also have a lot of background. Oh sports. yeah, no, so I mean, we've we, been in the sport we, for we have, we have, so we have the base. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. So, and now so. we're we're aiming more for high intensity, but low, like smaller or training or shorter training, um, and that's also because like 
personally, I'm not afraid to run for 24 hours straight. I know I can do it, but can I do it fast? That's where, like, I, last year I was like, hmm, I'm not sure. And that's the part that I need to address. It's not the distance or the, it's really the, the how, can, how fast can we do it? So that's more practicing speed. But I think realistically, five to 10 hours a week is what you need in order to make consistent gains over time. Right. I think less than that uh, no. is, is like kind of not going to happen. Yeah. And, and more than that, likely you're going to get injured. Yeah. And, and the important, one really important thing is con consistency. Mm -hmm. You know, be doing a bit like every day or two days, you know, and doing the base as, as much as you can. And the way I like to uh, explain it sometimes is uh, the best way is to integrate it in your day-to-day -day life. You know, a good example of that, I mean, we, we go to the, uh, every time I go to the grocery, I do it with a backpack and I fill it up <laughs> and, I, and I go there walking. But I mean, it, it doesn't make me a better racer, but it certainly helps and certainly, you know, provides some kind of consistency with having weight on my shoulder. Uh, so you are good at carrying weight. Yeah. <laughs> that's something that's something that you mentioned really important um, it's okay to train but you got to put yourself in a situation especially if you never raced in a situation uh, similar to when you will be racing so if you never ran with a pack and you end up starting a race a trekking pack wrap and you have a 30 pound wrap on your, on your back that's where you get injured, and that's when you get injured. And so I try to have the tendency to train with a bit of weight and put myself in a situation similar to There's a team, uh, a team did very well this race, but a team called Trust the Compass, and I had the chance to know them very well. They're out of Philadelphia. Um, and this was their first five-day race, and following their training into this race, they did exactly that. They did a lot of race simulations. Mm -hmm. Like they would work all day Friday, Get home and, these, and these are racers with families and commitments and jobs and, yeah. and get home Friday night and you know, they'd eat their dinner, they'd, they'd give their family a kiss and they would get on their bicycles at seven or eight o'clock on a Friday night and they would ride from Friday night into Saturday morning where they're simulating the distance, Amazing. the nighttime riding, all of that. Amazing. And as a result, when the time came during this race, mm -hmm. they were able to replicate that. So I think you're, you're spot on that you have to do those things, whether it be carrying you know, groceries in, in your <laughs> backpack or, or having those race specific training. That's huge to do. Um, I think we need to give a little bit of a caveat for the person listening to this who's getting into fitness. You're able to do it on five to 10 hours a week because you've been doing this for a very, very exactly. long time. No, 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 so absolutely not. No, no, no. Well, well that, uh, I mean, <laughs> yes and no. But I mean, you come to a point uh, where you, you, you have to do less base because you've done a lot of it before, beforehand. But uh, I mean, I mean, no. if, if, somebody's, if somebody's on their couch right now and they're relatively sedentary, right, and they want to do a five-day expedition race, they can certainly knuckle their way through it with a, a base level of, of preparation. We have, God bless, we had people out here this week who, a new adventure race, who jumped right into a five-day race and had amazing experiences yeah. where they, they look like different people after yeah. the end of the 120 hours. Yeah. But to, to the point being that, like, the, it's tough to go from zero to 60. It's tough to go that. You could do it, but it's I tough to be there. I disagree. I disagree. Like... <clears throat> I think over time, 
but the name of your blog is Dan Disagrees. That's right. I do. So. I do a lot of disagreeing. <laughs> I think I called Dan, and, I, and Dan was one of the earliest guests, and I called him the the, the philosopher king of adventure. Absolutely. You know, yes. I think you, I think you had the quote: yes. "No such thing as an infinity hill." I apologize oh, right. if, I, if I attribute yeah. that to you. No, I mean, I think I think the question is what what percentage gain can you get year over year? And I think when you're off the and this applies to any kind of racing, whether it's like running or biking or whatever, and you'll have huge gains earlier on as you kind of like get to what your body is comfortable with. And those gains are so easy to get, right? Like running twice a week will take you from a 15 minute mile to an eight minute mile or whatever, or 10, whatever. Like you, you can get quite a bit of progress like relatively quickly. And then you enter the period where it's like, how do we start getting consistent one or two percent per year improvements? And, or maybe more, there's some, but, but small marginal gains every year. And that's when periodized training and like all of the like advanced stuff comes in. And I think my point is that you can make consistent gains over time, regardless of where you are in your like journey with five or ten hours a week, um, yeah. Like, what's True. you know, True. what's the volume for off the couch, and what's I don't know, Courtney DeWalter's training right. volume, right? And it's like, you know, I'm sure there are sports and there are athletes that that need more than ten hours a week, or or are making productive use of more than ten hours a week, um, but it's certainly not a requirement. Yeah. For, for, for adventure racing, certainly. I, I agree. But, uh, I, think you, yeah, I think you're spot on about that. I think for the purpose of this race, it's, it's I think there's two things. The purpose of this sport, I agree with you. I think that with consistent, consistency over time, you can be a, a, a solid adventure racer. I think another thing, and I am far from a coach, an exercise physiologist, but I, I, I see this in my profession. I work with children for a living. As if too many coaches mistake volume for quality. Totally. And they, and they, and they, totally. they grind very often young athletes into the ground because they yeah. think that running more or training more is going to be equal. And there's that fine line between overtraining and proper training and undertraining. It's a hard thing to nail in specific, but I do think that the default position is overtraining. Yeah. If I do, if, if a little bit is good, a lot is better. In reality, that's not the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No. I guess to add to that, yeah, you you have some you know good training. Let's say five ten hours, and yeah, it's good. Uh, on top of that, you know, and what we like to do is also, you know, make it up a hobby to just go in the woods totally. and totally. Just build adventuring and uh, and because you gain some really valuable experience you know doing that and that that's not training that that's just learning and, and getting to, it's playing it's, it's playing fun. outside yeah. in the woods you and, know and basically yes so that i mean it, it's kind of two separate things but it's uh you know one on top of the other and uh, it's really uh, connected and, and complements each other. So, but I think uh, the, the other important thing in adventure racing specifically is that the most important thing is going in the right direction. Like speed is secondary. Absolutely. And like and if, if you just like uh, don't take a step in the wrong direction, absolutely. like you're way ahead of most people. Absolutely. So, you know, adding to that is that one one way to just to train but not feeling your training is orienteering. Yes. All right. Just knowing how to you know orienteer, play with the map, go in the woods, and these days you can 
just go online, create your own map, create your, your own course. Or, 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 or orienteer.co. And I want to give Dan some time because I think that, and, we've, and Dan and I have spoken offline about that as, the, as how that could be expanded into, so at that point, finish your thought out yeah, and let's, no, give, let's I, give Dan I, I a chance to talk about it. I was just saying that, you know, uh, one, re yeah, that, that the, the, just saying that, uh, you know, playing in the woods, orienteering, you know, is, equally as important as training for to you know to be able to replicate that in adventure racing uh, and not to mention that it brings you a lot of confidence in the wood and then it, it's a day-to-day -day, I mean being, being able to navigate you know either it's in the woods or in the city uh, it's a day-to-day it's -day thing so. before I give a kick it to Dan to talk a bit about Orienteer and I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase a quote, and I'm going to kind of butcher it, and I'll make it a point. For those at home, go find the actual quote, but it's a, a, a French philosopher named Chateaubriand. And he talked about the idea that the, the most fortunate person in the world who cannot tell the difference between their work and their play. Yeah. That, they, that it's not, and I, and I think that adventure racers are best served when they're, when they, they're able to bring those two into their lives. You know, it's, it's, I've never recorded an episode of The Dark Zone. This is with rare exception do I record a Saturday episode of The Dark Zone. And the reason being is that any adventures worth their salt is nowhere near a microphone on Saturday, mm -hmm. right? If, they're, if they work Monday to Friday, they're in the woods playing, if you will, going into that. On the top of playing in the woods better, Dan, talk about Orienteer.co. Yeah, I, uh, basically, infinity years ago, I um, wanted, to, wanted to run orienteering courses, and there was just like too much time in between orienteering meets. And I, I, don't, I think I lived in a place where there just weren't any. Um, and so it was too long between events, uh, and so I made an app that let me create and run courses. Um, and then I uh, had a job change, and then spent a couple couple months kind of dialing in and kind of building it out as a as a more real thing. So it's much better now than it was, but it's still not perfect. So. And play with it. Have any, have any, yeah. have any feedback? Let me know. Yeah. Shoot me an email. And I'll, I'll put um, a link into the show amazing. notes about that. Yeah. And, and I definitely, I think I've had a chance to play with it also. And it's a, it's a very, um, it's a low, low effort, high return way to get in the woods and to. Yeah. I, I have I, full disclosure. I'm not a hiker. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not. I, I love the woods. I love the outdoors. I'm not going to go to a, a trailhead, park my car on a Saturday, totally. and walk no. in a big loop for three no. hours and go home. Totally. That some people do that and they love that. Yeah. For, Great for, for them. In, in my opinion, the, the woods are a playground, and therefore the orienteering yeah. puts that together. When it's funny for me, right? Like if you say, "Hey Dan, go run thirty miles," I'll, I'll say no, unequivocally. Right? I have no yeah. interest. And if you're like, "There's four he, checkpoints here's in, a, this. in a thirty-mile loop." Yeah. And I will run the whole thing happily. I'm going to get my gear. Yeah, exactly. yeah, let's go. Absolutely. Right. right. You know, just uh, we, uh, before actually Ozark, you know, we were uh, on a ski trip, actually, in, in, in Gatsby Zip. And, uh, but, you know, we had to work on our run. So, but just to uh, go out and run, you know, it was like, I don't want to do that. So I've created In the snow runs. cold. Right. So I, I created that kind of That kind runs. of voluntary misery, right? Exactly. In Murdochville, which is like an yeah. old mining town old with mining nothing town interesting really to see. But uh, the way to, you know, uh, to spice it up. So I used Orienteer and I've created coffee runs. And in the morning I was like, okay, here's the coffee run for this morning. And we were just running in town and I created a skio. <laughs> so we went for a skio. 
uh, it was my, my friend's birthday, so as a birthday gift, I, <laughs> make it, I made like a little adventure. Right. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, just, just make it fun. And the training, you, you will, you know, you, you will forget it, it's training and it, it's doing, it's, it's actually really, really good. For That's the idea of flow. Racing. You get so lost in the event, you really don't realize that you're working. Exactly. Um, what I what I want to do, and I recognize that we have a, we have a banquet to get to, and you know, and what's what's interesting is that ninety percent of my interviews take place over Zoom. Right, I'm really in the room with the people, and so the reason why we're in the room together is because of Rootstock Racing's the Endless Mountains, and I want to pay attention and, and honor the effort of Rootstock Racing to put the race together by letting you talk a bit about your race experience, talk about the course, talk about the challenges, talk about what you did right, talk about what you did wrong. Like, what did you, what's your overall take on the experience you've had here over these five days? I'm super impressed. Um, in this country, uh, there's been a lot of um, logistically challenging races where like, you have to do your own hotel and you have to sort out exactly when everything's going to happen and it's not totally clear what the deal is. Um, and Rootstock has put on just a phenomenal event with like so many different bases covered. Mm -hmm. um, super easy to show up. Um, and, and focus on what you need to focus on. Um, and so that has been really great. The course itself, also amazing. Um, I, I was blown away by, yeah. by the variety. Um, the variety. In, in a state I never <laughs> thought about visiting. Yeah. Well, well they um, talk a lot about that, how that Rootstock Racing, and Brent and Abby out of Philadelphia, and they spent a lot of time here, they talk about how they feel as if this part of, of Pennsylvania is like someone of an undiscovered playground area. Totally. Yeah. Totally. No. Yeah. A lot of, you know, really, really green, small valleys, you know, that we, we got to see. And I, I don't remember the checkpoint. If I look on the map, I'll know. But uh, it was a green spur, like a perfect spur. And it, it wasn't that big, but you could see it. And it was, it was crazy. It was it's beautiful. It was beautiful. And, uh, but I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was trying to, you know, all the nature was also trying to, Sting you. To sting you. Right. Between uh, between the the, 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 the various things. Mountain yeah. Gloria fighting through and then yeah. obviously yeah. you know the on the on the Appalachian Trail, which we were nowhere near, that's eastern Pennsylvania, far east, yeah. but they say yeah. Pennsylvania is actually Roxylvania. Mm -hmm. Right? That the train yeah. you're traveling yeah. on is not yeah. smooth and it's really yeah. very technical and trying that way. Yeah. And so the trade off for the beautiful views and the beautiful course is the fact that it's really hard to get to some of these places. Yeah. yeah. True. When when did the race when did the race get hard for you? Uh, when did the race get hard? When it start to uh, when we start to climb? Because, um, I'm from Canada. I live in Ottawa, so I train. Um, try to train on the treadmills, but uh, to be honest, sometimes the motivation to train on the treadmill versus going play play outside is a is a bit difficult. Um, but uh, that that's definitely one of the places where I I struggle. So. I'll be uh, I'll be focusing a little more on the on the, vert, the, the elevation, the elevation, elevation gaining some elevation, spending I'll be spending sometimes in the out west and Alberta this summer. So excited about that. Yeah, I think I had, I had only one moment of going crazy, and it was really about <laughs> those stinging needles. Yeah. We 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 had a full a trail that was just covered of this and we I didn't have the chin guard and only had the, the opens which usually is perfect to go through stuff like that but 
they were just going on you. They were going on my ends, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I hate this. Why I'm here? I will never come back here, never again." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I need to change my mood." <laughs> and same thing with the 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 mountain laurel. I was like, "Oh, I love flowers so much. It's one of my passions." So we we walked through this super nice trail, and I was going through those nice bushes, and I was like, "Oh my god, the flowers are so nice." And then next checkpoint was straight through those bushes and I was like I hate those I hate those right. <laughs> don't, don't yeah. and I was thinking about brand that had to go scout all those places yeah. Yeah. I was like this guy yeah. has so much will um, <laughs> his, his training stories or other people's like life stories like yeah. what he does for what he does for training and research to find these places yeah. is incredible because it, we, we did one so that means that he did all the other like around yeah. <laughs> to find yeah. the best yeah. one and a lot of it doesn't make it into the final version yeah. Right. Right. So, so that was that was the tough part, right? That was the, the the natural terrain. That's where it got challenging. And we've talked about your your teamwork dynamic, and I don't think your teammate your teamwork would make it challenging for you. There's challenging moments, but it's not challenging in general. When did you know? And I, w- I had a chance to be a TA seven when you pulled in. And you saw there was one set of bike boxes waiting for you, which is a sign that you were clearly the the, the leaders of the race. Mm-hmm. What was your attitude during the race when you you're out at the point in by yourself, you're not seeing other teams? Do you even talk about your placement in the race, or do you just put your head down and work hard, or do you? Is there any analysis where we 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 haven't seen so and so for a long time, and or do you just you live in your own head and you race your race, and no matter what happens, what happens? How much time did you spend looking behind yourself? Is a good way of saying it. Oh, well, I mean, we kind of had the first glimpse of. Uh, I mean, we we knew we were doing good because we got out of the you know first stage mm-hmm. in, in first place, so. We're like, okay, well, this is going going well. So, but at you know, early on in the race, it really is just about okay, trying to find the, our own rhythm and uh, and do our thing, and just not letting ourselves distracted by the placement too much. Uh, and then you know, at the <coughs> at the hike, the 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 trek loop where we had the climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a bike drop. So. We drop the bike, okay, we go do the climbing, and then we knew that, you know, on the way back, you know, if there was uh, people, then we would probably know uh, the, the the gap, and uh, I think it was about an hour and a half. So really you knew, because there, no, there were no other bikes waiting there when you there turned the corner. There was one set of bikes, and uh, actually Jean-Yves, I think, saw the timesheet, and uh, so it was, it was about an hour and a half on bone, so we're like, oh, an hour and a half, but that's, that's a good place to be. So, uh, no, and then after that, we just, you know, of course, we ha- you have that in your head, but we didn't really talk about it much. A little bit. At one point, because I think on the paddle, I was looking back all the time. But that's much later. And, yeah, you but know, we, this is much it, later. It was, it was we, late we in the race, yeah. Time. But I was feeling that because we were sleepy on the paddle, that we were not paddling as hard as... Like we, we could have paddled if it was on the first day, on second day, right. even if we did amazing time. And well, this is I, where usually I don't care about our position, but when we come close to a finish line and we're in first place, I feel that I have something to lose instead of something to win. Right. This is where I get a bit like nervous and I was turning my head all the time, even on the bike. I was, sometimes you, you, when you sleep deprived, you kind of hear voices in the wood. And you're just like, is it just in my head or there's actually a team behind? Are there so, headlights out there or something coming this way? 
Yeah. Am I hallucinating? Or? Right. <laughs> and you start wondering yourself again, and then you get into like there was, there was just this idea like where is your head in terms of what if you saw headlights like car headlights off in the distance? Would you think that someone else was coming? And you get into that weird spot later in the race because you're you're up for days at a time, right? And all of a sudden, the, the, the things you imagine become real if you're not careful. Actually, one time, Jean, you told me there's a team behind yeah. Dan. Yeah, you told us yeah. that. And that <laughs> <laughs> Did you make that up or no? No, seriously. We're trying, we're trying to motivate them. We've got to wake these guys up. Guys, they're right there. we got to yeah. go. They're right there. Maybe it was a car or a, I don't know. In the middle of the wood, I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> were we? Yeah, yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> But one thing we're trying to integrate is trying to do our fastest time for us. So even if we have a lead is how fast can we reach a finish line? And that's something that we always yeah. remind ourselves during the race. We, look at we, we don't want to lay back even if we have like a gap. Exactly, because you realize if you begin to be, we, see, we saw this in transitions with, with racers that are, that were the mid-pack racers that were fighting to get going, a, a problem that they run into, and this is once again a teaching for them, is that when you race for five days and you're three and a half, four days into a race and you have, say, it's uh, X amount of stages, there's two or three stages left, you've done so much beforehand, you easily fall into the trap in the transition of thinking that the race is almost over. And you, and you begin to gear down and you begin to back off a little bit. And all of a sudden, the, the, the volunteers who you know, cannot get involved in racers' performance, our job is to assist. Our job is not, not to assist. Our job is to observe and do what we can play our role. We were almost willing them, like, no, you, you really have to get going. Like, you, you're, you're, you're going from racing to not racing, and yet there's a lot of the event left in front of you. And so to your point, you can't really, the minute you come out of that, that fifth gear, everything sort of changes regarding your attitude. And if you're not careful, then mistakes happen. There's a nutrition mistake. There's a navigational error. You know, and you could burn. You know, you had a commanding lead at one point, but we all know what a bike mechanical. You add a bike mechanical to a massive nav error to someone, you know, having a bad stomach. Your your ten hour lead could evaporate like that if Absolutely. you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting is how different attitudes are affect different people in different ways. So I am super sensitive to the competitive anxiety piece. Mm -hmm. So the competitive anxiety does terrible things for my navigation quality, for my performance, for my reliability of eating, all these things go out the window. Like when I, when I have that negative competitive energy. And so for me, I have to be very careful with like the stories that I let in and the narratives that I tell myself because the right ones are super motivating and the wrong ones are motivating in a dangerous way. Right. And, you know, like one of the, one of the, che the checkpoint 22, is, which we really struggled to find at night, we figured would be super easy to find in the daytime. Turned out wasn't the case. Turned out everybody struggled for right. about the same amount of time that we did. Um, but so we, we had a hard time finding it in the fog in the nighttime. And I was just like, well, that's what that's what leads are for. <laughs> like threw away two hours of our lead by by uh, getting to a checkpoint early. So now we have to, you know, grind it grind it out again and and try to get that lead back. But to that point, you don't use that that uh, anxiety in your belly as being something to keep you moving forward. That's almost like a toxic level of anxiety. There's for me, absolutely. Right, right. I find I find it super unmo uh, the opposite of motivating. Right, right. Because if those anxieties come true, then you're then you're the bottom falls out. I don't actually know. I don't know what the, the, the experience for me is the, 
tighter you grip, the more the sand goes out of your hand kind of thing. Gotcha. Right? Like the, the easiest, easiest way to swim fast is with a loose hand. Right. right? Like the more you cup it, the less you're actually pushing water out of the way. Um, so it's kind of this counterintuitive thing where it's like, you know, smooth, fast, like relaxed, confident, like keep your eyes open and your heart open to just like... And, that's, and, I, and, I, and I think that's a, a huge point to make for the folks who want to get better at this. You know, I had the chance to be every transition during the course of the race. I had a chance to watch every single team. And whether it be a team at the pointy end of the race, whether it be a mid-pack team, or whether it be a team that was more towards the back, the teams that had the best experiences were those that were the calmest and the loosest and the most relaxed during the race. Mm-hmm. Like, like, rarely did I observe a team that was tense with each other having a good race. And that sense of tension with each other does not lead to increased performance. It leads to increased anxiety, which therefore things kind of fall apart. Which requires the teammates that when they want to get tense and they want to get fired up, they have to turn down their internal monologue so that they don't turn the team upside down. Oh, I'm happy to have I'm happy to have a conversation. We've had we've many many conversations where I can feel the like the the excitement turn into anxiety or, or like I think there's a lot of space and, and a lot of space needs to be made for the thing. The the challenge is kind of keeping it contained. Right? You don't want somebody else's anxiety to become your anxiety. Right? You wanna make space for the thing and like let 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 that emotion take its course and not like so this turn the, into a wild. So during fire. a race and touch race situation there has to be a healthy distance between your teammates' emotions and your emotions. And he or she may need to step off to the side to work through them independent of you. Interesting. I honestly, I think my my attitude is one of let it be, right? Like like you're you're feeling your feelings, right? Like talk about them. We can talk about them and try not to make them my own, right? Um, you go be you, and I'll be here to support you. But you exactly. have to work these things out on your own. What do you What do you mean by on your own? Like the you want to give your teammate a chance to process out in their own head a little bit. The thing that they're struggling with, they may be able to resolve on their own. I would there prefer to help them. them to talk to me about it. Like, I want to hear about it. Gotcha. Right? So the example from nursery race, if you don't mind me telling you. No, go ahead. Um, we, we, uh, we spent a lot of time on foot care. And, and at some point, um, Corinne was like, we are stopping. It feels like we're stopping too much. And so I, I said, like, what, what, what do you want? How do you want this to go? You know, like what, what do you feel like is going wrong? And I think, and I think there were two things going on. And, and let me know if, if I have like psychoanalyzed you correctly. But like one of them is um, there can be inefficient stops. So if uh, Johnny's is the fastest putting the shoes on, which pretty much 100% of the time you were, yep. like every time you were ready the first. Yep. Um, there's like that moment of like annoyance that Dan or whoever is like taking too long to put their shoes back on and that can compound into this like these stops are inefficient we really need to dial this in we should be able to like make this better um, which I think is a super healthy discussion to have right of like how can we make better use of our time and I think another piece is it almost felt guilty how good our feet felt and like we should have been pushing a little bit harder and have the feet hurt um, that like it was like almost we were wasting time keeping our feet feeling so good um, 
But in, in the same way, it's such a fine yeah. line. Of, of it is a fine line. And I would much rather ride on the side of like comfy feet and moving fast. But like for me, I love that moment where mm -hmm. I felt pushy. Yeah. Well, I, I felt that I had to let it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I let it out. And he said, oh, I have a different point of view. Yeah. Here's my point of view. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Right. Well, thank you for your point of view. <laughs> now I feel better. Right. And because but, you speak with each other honestly outside those intense situations, when those intense situations arise, there's a muscle memory of relationship where no one takes it personally. We've had hard conversations when it's not intense, so therefore we have hard conversations when it's intense. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also like many small conversations are easier than many big ones. Right. Right. It shouldn't get to an epic point where the team is imploding totally. in each other's throats and all of a sudden you're having this, totally. this whole it, release of and I tried, it, was, I, it was definitely I, not like a, like a fight or it was just like, oh, I feel like this. And then you said, that's my point of view. And I was like, oh. I tried to be very careful, right? Yeah. Very like, <laughs> like tender, tender in my, in my uh, holding of that thing, right? Because I don't want to feel like you're wrong. And, and like you're wrong for having felt that or having thought that. Right, you have to honor your teammates' feelings sometimes, even if they're wrong or not. And you should well, try to talk somebody out. It's not. And it's not. It's not that they're wrong, right? It literally isn't that they're wrong, right? right? It's just like, what do you want? Right. How do we align your feelings with your goals and with your actions? And it's like, if if what you're feeling is like our stops are inefficient, we need to work on them. Let's totally let's talk right. about that. And if you're like, why are we stopping so often? Like. My feet feel too good. But then it's like, yeah, yeah our feet feel so good. Let's run faster. <laughs> That's a great problem to have. <laughs> this, is, this is great. But it's actually, you know, it, it already brought us to modifying our protocol for, totally. the, for these stops. Totally. It, because we realized that, no, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe the number of stops is not the issue. Maybe it's just that we should make better use of time totally. in these stops. And totally. we realize that, yeah, we can do something else that will exactly. be beneficial in the grand exactly. scheme of our race. And we're like, you know what? Yeah, we already have a plan in place for this. So when, and one of my favorite stories was, was from World Championships in 2020 where I raced with, with Chelsea Magnus. Um, and she and I had been on a very similar training program and, and the two people that we were with had been on, I think, like a, one of the one of the guys joined last minute, and so we had like a very different, very different race because there was a big uh, training gap, um, and so she was so frustrated um, on one of the climbs. She was like carrying everybody, dragging everybody, um, and she was just like beside herself. And so we just like had the conversation, just like, are, how are you feeling? Like, what's going on? And and like when when we kind of got to the bottom of it, she was just like disappointed at how good she felt that she had all this training under her belt. It's like, okay, yeah. That's a hilarious, hilarious thing to feel right. sad about that you're just so strong in this moment. But that's what's real. Like that's what and thank you for telling me. And this is like an amazing an amazing place to be. And like let's mm -hmm. like let's do with it what we can, you know. And, and um, that gets more challenging in the context of teammates might be in different places. Yeah, but every everything like you are where you are, right? You know, and it's like, how how do you how do you get from where you are to where you want to be? Right. Um, and it's like, oh, well, I think our our thing there was like, um, we learned so much from that race, and we had a great time. Um, you know, I love the Darren and, and Lars who we raced with. We had so much fun with. Um, 
And, and that appears to be the idea too, that the idea of having fun. That's that's clearly totally. built into what you're yeah. doing here. You're not just you're not, you're not the adventure racing version of the Terminator, right? You're out there. No. And there's a looseness to your racing that goes on. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you know, a lot of the time we have uh, that uh, conversation with, with uh, other racers, and I'm I'm telling uh, I'm telling them we're not Terminators. Well, and that's the funny <laughs> we're not thing. Robocops, then, and they're like, totally. Oh no, I thought you guys were just going, going, going. And I'm like. Oh, we have struggles and we make jokes and uh, <laughs> the amount and of we fart. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> we fart like anybody. The amount, the amount of fart jokes and. Uh. But the Terminator thing is a very interesting. I appreciate you for bringing light to the farting issue yeah, of the exactly. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's I'm also glad it's hour. It's yeah. One hour you've done that, so people stop listening by now. <laughs> the Terminator thing is interesting. You know, like Jason and I did a did a race over the over the summer where we um, paddled like a thousand miles. And, and one of the things that came up a lot is like, you know, oh, the, this, like, there's paddling machines. They just paddle, paddle, paddle all day. And I had to laugh because it's like the amount of emotional intelligence and like care that we had to, to have with each other and like to, to maintain the, the motivation to paddle consistently for that long is crazy. And I just love this. The difference between like what it's like to be in that moment to how it seems outside, right, right, and and the perspective of like looking at the Terminator as being this like extremely emotionally self-aware character who has a single task, right, that, that he's doing is just like so funny and awesome. Um, but that's how it is for us, at least. It's like the more we're able to to tune in with how we're feeling and what we're doing, the better everything goes. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important point to make too because it's it's. And I try not to belabor the obvious when we talk about adventure racing and training, but it's worth underlining for the newer racer that it's not simply a game of physical capacity. Definitely not. It's actually, uh, yeah, it's actually not. I mean, uh, I mean, to do what we did, it, it, there's some physicality. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, right, but, it, but it's not yeah. simply that. No, it's right. It's not no. simply that. Yeah, because we have seen we have seen adventure races where people show up who have a high level of physical capacity in other sports, and they can really, sure. they think that there's a reason why. There's a reason why adventure racing is not dominated by four people who could bench press 300 pounds and they can run eight minute miles. And there's a reason why this why they don't succeed in sport and people who don't have that level of capacity do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what makes adventure racing so great, the complexity of the sport. Yeah, yeah, true. And uh, no, it, it's not just physical. It, it's, I mean, of course it's, it's, you know, one part of it in the grand scheme of it. Right. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, uh, just just knowing just knowing about what you want to eat or how do you eat that's that's something that i've grown like in the past year and i feel i feel a different racer now because and that's the that process started last year in canada and i raced with um with dan and he was like yo you don't eat enough you don't i know i never see you eating or drinking i was like i'm not hungry and then he pushed me to that, and I, I was feeling so good. And since then, every races I'm working on that. Yeah. So that's one thing that it's not about my training. It's not. It's how am I? How can I like intake food enough to be a good racer on five days? Right. And the it's training. So and the, the, tra- the training is complementary, not not yeah. not, into, not in front of, not behind. Yeah. And I think I, I'm I'm much better this year just because of yeah, this the most small important thing for you is just to like eat more right? yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, a small I've, I've heard that one of the TAs where we had some food laid out and because you were in the front you got like a, if there were food trucks you, you 
full disclosure, you gave the, the race organizers fits because you were so far ahead. We had to run ahead to open up transition areas because <laughs> you had these, this huge lead. And so the race got really long. And so the volunteers were tasked with getting you food. Food was promised to the racers who had to get you food. We know that there's dietary restrictions. So a salad was put on the table. And you literally walked through, didn't, didn't stop, grabbed the salad and kept on moving. And you were delighted there was a salad waiting for you. Um, things like yeah. that. And so clearly you've met the goal of eating more during the race. You yeah. did that. That was yeah. a box check for Endless Mountains. Yeah, and uh, just to come back on the point of, uh, you know, training versus everything else, I'm, I'm kind of coaching a team for uh, for World. You know, uh, teams, it's a new team, but they, they have this huge challenge in front of them. And, I'm, you know, one thing I'm stressing out is that, yeah, it's, it's not just physical. You know, you, you got to practice everything. You got to practice how to put your bikes, in, your bikes in your box and how to unbox that and how to not make this, uh, you know, a mess after a couple of TAs and how to, you know, be, how to execute a transition, you know, uh, and, and have plans and process and things like we, we talked before. So all that is, is super. And yeah, and we saw the different, the times different <coughs> between legs, but TAs, you can go from 10 minutes to two hours. Yeah. Just right there. Like it. They're not careful. It means yeah. how quickly time passes yeah. in the it, it, it was one of our goal in this race was uh, around, you know, maximum 20 minute TAs. Uh, we, we, you know. Started we, slipping towards the end. Yeah, we started slipping. So That's uh, a natural byproduct of you knew the lead you had. Mm, yes and yes but it, and but there's yeah, it, there's thing the the organizational aspect was the piece that flagged for us um i think it was really the last ta that was the, the that was the, yeah the, it was the just the last ta one. that took us a bit more time we didn't that, apply that was, that was the paddle to the bike yeah, yeah. and yeah. for this one we didn't apply what we know we should have applied yeah exactly it's, it's not, the not only doing that's exactly you, you, you had to do you just yeah. didn't do it and exactly. right, right. yeah exactly. and i think part of it yeah is probably knowing that we have a comfortable lead right uh, but I mean, it's it's not a good reason. But, but it's also a potential a potential indicator that we need to be sleeping more. I think I think seeing TA time slipping over the course of yeah. the race is an indicator that that there's not enough rest, mm -hmm. um, or that the rest is mistimed, or yeah. or that something is going on there. Yeah. Um, and we yeah and yeah well I mean one thing we, we we did not apply what we you know we kind of left our foot up. The, the, the pedal there with our own process and procedures because probably we kind of lost focus a bit. And yeah, I mean. Well, we switched into loss prevention mode. Yeah. We would not have normally packed a entire tire, several extra, <laughs> several extra of everything. Well, you were probably concerned about that massive mechanical. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. And yeah. so on the last. If we had had an extra derailleur, we would have brought it. You, you, <laughs> you kind of bring everything because, yeah. you know, it, if it breaks down, you're on the last leg. It doesn't help you in your bike box. It's, right? it's mm -hmm. in the bike box. So you're like, well, we brought it all the way here. You know, <laughs> I mean, I want, I'll bring it to the finish. Line. Right. I mean, I'm touching woods. It's, you know, we, we rarely have. It happens mechanic. once. It, it, it happens well, once. I mean, having to change a full tire, uh, you know, it, it happens rarely. But but it's funny that we bring it only on the last leg. It's almost like a a good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like yeah. You also you also don't want to tempt fate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It would it would I would it would probably kill you to be a massive mechanical with a tire, be in the middle of nowhere'sville, exactly. 
exactly. and all of a sudden be like, I guess we're now going to run the rest of this. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and it would, and if only we had carried this extra tire. Or but go on the point. wheelie. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, a unicycle on the way in. Yeah, because if there was one place on that race where we should have had a tire, I mean, on the first first leg, which was 120 kilometers, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which that was the most technical ride. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to be uh, thoughtful of your time as, as the five of us sitting here speaking, the, the entire race organization is now moving towards the, the, the finisher's banquet and the award ceremony. So I want to be thoughtful about Bed Racing time. And I'm thankful for coming on the dark zone. I appreciate it. What I want to do is I always like to give the, the, the guests a chance to sort of close it out. If, think of the newer racers sitting at home. What do you want them to take away from the entire experience that you have? Be kind to each other. Make space. Listen to people. Listening is so important. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Also, <laughs> just just make it happen. Uh, you know, get out there. Get out there, and, and I really enjoy uh, your, your what you said at the at the the opening ceremony at the at the, at the meeting. Yeah, that speech was great. You 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 were allowed you yeah it was uh, you know super good. So it's like yeah, you deserve to be here. You can do this. You're it, enough. Yeah. You're enough. Uh, you know, it, it's your chance. It's your life. Just you know, make the best out of it. This these races are all about that. Um, no, that that's yeah. It, that's what adventure racing is for. I want the racer to uh, remember also is to be uh, to be grateful about the work that the race director mm. do, uh, do when they create those events and. I kind of realize, especially here, the amount of work that uh, Brent and Abby did to, to create that course. Uh, it's countless hours. Yeah, alongside that, 25, over 25 volunteers. Yeah, volunteers so it's a huge, yeah, you know, yeah. and sleep as much as we do, sometimes less. I've been here for the whole week, it's easier to race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and volunteering in races is its own experience you know you spoke of uh, Keith who drove all the way to Toronto mm -hmm. to pick up the team you know it's and and these stories in races you know uh, we hear you know about them all the time and they're amazing uh, and and only in our sport well I mean maybe not only in our sport but it, it happens it tends to happen a lot in adventure racing but it's all about you know people being you know kind to each other and there to support each other. Kareem, take us home. What are your last thoughts? Um, oh, that's hard. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just do it. Try it, I think. Yeah. There, there's a lot of people around me who's like, oh, what you do is just impossible. Like, they, they, they think you cannot jump in and try it, and but it's not true. It's if you want if you're interested in that sport just try it and do mm -hmm. it and experience and you'll come home with so many stories in your head and so many memories that just that it's worth it and uh i often say there's no there's not many sport where you can go to a hotel or go to the restaurant during the event right <laughs> while you're competing right. get a room right. sleep for a while get a room, <laughs> Sleep, uh, stop in a snack bar, and get to the finish line, and be you know <laughs> still doing the event. It, 
it's crazy. So, the reason uh, 1,000 why bench racing is the best sport in the world. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Ben Racing, thank you very much. Travel safe home. Good luck at Worlds. We know you're putting teams together for that. And all the best. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. And here's a thank oh. you gift. I have a can of now maple syrup. Thank you maple very much. Syrup. Maple syrup. Coming, syrup. Thank you. from Canada. It's always our, our, our gift uh, to the people we enjoy being with at, uh, at races. Well, thank you for the gift of maple syrup, Ben Racing. And get home <laughs> safe and sound. Thank you. Well, there you have it, Adventure Race fans. Another good episode with Ben Racing, champions of the 2023 Endless Mountains, presented by Rootstock Racing. Again, thank you to episode sponsor UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, for supporting the race and to Lycoming College and the city of Williamsport. Um, we've had a fantastic experience here over the course of the past week. Five episodes in five days. Hopefully, we've brought a lot to the adventure racing community. Thank you for being a listener. If you like what you hear, please head to your streaming platform of choice and like, click, and do all those other things. Have fun racing, have fun training, and be safe out there. All the best.